together today as a, as a family of families, families that are all different shapes and sizes and backgrounds, but what we all have in common is that we desperately need your grace. We need reminding today of what you have done. We who are in Christ have been delivered from the domain of darkness and You've transferred us into the kingdom of your beloved son. In him we have redemption and we have the forgiveness of sin. But for now, we who are citizens of your kingdom, we live in this one. We live in kingdoms that are passing away. And so the moments are urgent, Lord, for us to point to Christ and to his kingdom. So I ask you today, God, please empower me to preach. Please empower us to shepherd our homes. Please help us to remember today, by the power of your spirit, what you have done. We would give you praise for all of that. Lord, we don't need to pull ourselves up by our own bootstraps we don't need to turn over new leaves today we need your power to empower our lives and to continue to transform us and so I pray today that you would use your word to do that and that we would not be the same when we leave here not only in our emotions not only in our knowledge but in our deepest being we would look like Christ and continue to look more like Christ. And you'd use us to do that in our families. In the name of Jesus, amen. You can be seated. Well, normally we preach through books of the Bible at Trace, but sometimes during special times of the year like now, uh, recently we finished, if you're, if you're a guest, we finished First Peter recently and we've, we've uh, had an Advent series, and so you're going to be hearing uh, some kind of standalone ser sermons for the next few weeks. And so today, I really wanted to focus on families, focus on leaving the only legacy that will last. Um, anybody been to a class reunion within the past year? Yes, no, maybe? Sometimes we avoid class reunion. I've had a few of those. I'm just going to be honest with you. Uh, and it's interesting. One thing that you, you pick up on really quickly when you go to a class reunion is, is really what's important to people because that's what they start talking about. That's what they're revealing of themselves. Uh, it may be material success. They want to talk about what they've accomplished and what they've acquired. It may mean um, just the appearance of success. That's what's important to them. It may be uh, leisure, have fun that that's what's become important. That's become the purpose of that person's life. Or, or perhaps even it's their kids. You see that a lot. Now, for those of you whom I have bombarded with grandchildren pictures, I'm sorry. But people sometimes, uh, they live for their children. Now, that's a different thing than discipling your children and playing the role that we should in our children's lives. But... But that's what some people do. Um, kids are a wonderful blessing, whether they're own children or whether they're others. 
And I think you would agree with me, we're very blessed here at Trace. I mean, if, you, if you're not sure about that, then go out that door and hang a right after the service and see what's coming out of that. We've got a lot of blessings down there. Uh, and so kids are wonderful blessings, but they're also a responsibility, and, and they're a stewardship for us. So have you ever thought about this and, and blocked out the way that the world thinks? If Christ doesn't return... In a hundred years from now, a hundred years from now, few or even maybe none of even people will even know your name, not even many of your own descendants. They will not even know your name. But the question really is this, will, will they know your Savior? That's really what we're driving at today. So if I say names today like Rockefeller, or if I say names like Vanderbilt, or Bush, or Kennedy, or... or Certain things, certain kingdoms, certain legacies come to mind. But all of those legacies, as great as they are in this world, they're all passing away. And yet his kingdom has come, and his kingdom is coming. And yes, he is sovereign over that. But he's working out that sovereignty. He's building his kingdom, as we see in his word, through faithful, the faithful obedience of his people to raise up generations. And it's the, it's the same principle that we see uh, Paul give Timothy in 2 Peter chapter 2. Paul writes to Timothy at the end of his ministry, What you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. You, you see those generations there. Paul disciples Timothy. Timothy is to entrust those things to faithful men who will also teach others. And he's given us those same responsibilities, whether we're parents or whether we're people who influence those who are, are coming up. He's given us those same responsibilities, generational responsibilities. So while Paul is telling Timothy how to shepherd the church, God is telling us through Moses in this passage that we've just heard how to shepherd our homes in Deuteronomy 6. And, and that's what we want to talk about today. How can we who are in Christ raise up godly generations. So if you see the passage in the sentence on your note, in your notes, God grows his kingdom across generations through his people's devoted love, through diligent teaching, and through discerning living. So devoted love, what exactly is devoted love? Devoted devotedly love God, you see your first point, devoted love God with all of your being, and your legacy will be his love down through the generations. You see that in this passage in verses 4 through 6. Um, let me get to my text here. Verses 4 through 6. Uh, Moses, speaking the words that God has given him, says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command today shall be on your heart. So devoted love starts with, with knowing God. It doesn't start with our own effort. And he says here, the Lord our God, he is one. He's one God in three persons. Uh, that's several among many references that I've given you in your notes, but I, I want you to listen to a couple of these. 
Genesis chapter 1, verses 26, God says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image. You see the plurality there. Psalm 110, 1 is another one that I give to you. David writes the psalm. David the king writes the psalm. The Lord says to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Jesus in Matthew 22 confirms that this psalm is about him. Uh, Mark chapter 1 verses 9 through 11 is another place where we see three persons um, sorry I've lost Mark chapter 1 yeah verses 9 through 11 we see the trinity at work there the one God in three persons this is at Jesus' baptism in those days Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven. You are my beloved Son. With you I am well pleased. So this is, this is the three persons of the Trinity manifesting themselves in one passage there. And then I would also point you to other passages, but, but lastly I want to read Revelation chapter 22. Uh, verses 13, Jesus speaking, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the legacy and the end. Jesus is Lord. So when we see in this passage, the Lord our God, He is one. We're talking about the one God that manifests Himself in three persons. Uh, Jesus is Lord. So, so this is one thing that I want us to see. Most religions in the world today they will tend to pervert this truth. Even the Quran. The Quran borrows from this language. If you pick up a Quran, you hear references to we, we this and we that. But if you've had much experience with Muslims, you will, you will know that they will say, you know, the, the Christians have it wrong because God can only be one person, he can't be three. So what does their we mean? We means greatness in the Quran. Others portray God, other, other religions portray God as, as manifesting himself in different ways. But our God is one God in three persons. And only through Christ do we know him. Uh, I want to read from you from, from 1 Peter chapter 3. We were in 1 Peter recently, but I want you to see this. Uh, beginning in verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again, to a living hope, how? Through the resurrection of Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. And then he goes on to say, in this you rejoice. So all of our hope, all of our knowing God, the one the one God in three persons is, is through Christ. That's where our hope is. So we can know him through Jesus Christ. But we also know him, we know him by his word. We know him by his word. Uh, look, look with me in, in verses 1 in chapter 6. Now this is the commandment, the statutes and the rules that the Lord your God commanded me to teach to you, that you may do them in the land which you're, you are going over to possess it. Then, then skip down to verse 6. And these words that I command you, you shall do in your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. Then he goes on to say, he talks about commandments. He talks about 
uh, statutes, uh, a commandment, and then he talks about commandments, and he talks about statutes. Everything flows out of that commandment that's in verse 5. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. So we tend to make things complicated so many times, but, but all of our obedience to Christ is going to flow out of that commandment. Everything flows out of that. So people sometimes have uh, experiences. They have, we hear of mystical experiences. We hear of dreams. We hear of coincidences that happen. They tend to be maybe ways that God is pointing people to him. We, we hear of people who come from, again, the Muslim faith who have a dream. But I want to make something very clear today. Even though those types of experiences can cause us to give further thought to who God is, those experiences will not save us. Only by the hearing of the word of God and repentance and faith in Jesus will be, will be saved. So in, in human experiences, some of those things, they're, they're, it's kind of like watching the magician. It makes us go wow when we hear something sensational. But I don't want us to ever, as believers, fall into the trap of defending, depending on uh, supernatural experiences or something like that uh, to say that that's what has to happen to be a part of salvation. The Word of God is what saves people. He's clear about that. God Can God use them? Yes, He does them, but only through the power of His Word does He save. So, also, devoted love continues with passionate pursuit of Him with all of our lives. Passionate pursuit of Him with all of our lives. Verse 5, you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your mind. Might. A, a little explanation here. Uh, when we think of heart, we tend to think of emotion, right? We tend to think, um, I love you with all of my heart. I'm, I'm giving all of my emotion with you. In, in the Hebrew, the word heart means it, it's like our mind. It's the way we are thinking about things. And the emotions are involved in that, of course. The soul is the innermost being, and the might uh, is the abilities. Uh, Jesus says it. Uh, uh, Jesus is asked in Mark chapter 12, what is the greatest commandment? I'll read this passage for you. Mark chapter 12, beginning in verse 28. One of the scribes came up and heard him disputing with one another. And seeing that he answered them well, he asked them, Which commandment is the most important of all? And Jesus answered, The most important is, Hear, O Israel. He, he repeats, he quotes what's called the Shema here. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There's no other commandment greater than this. The scribe said to him, you're right, teacher. You have truly said that he is one, and there's no other beside him, besides him. And to love him with all the heart and with all the understanding, with all the strength, and to love one's neighbor as oneself is much more than all the burnt offerings and sacrifices. So you get that. The scribe is talking to God in the flesh and he refers to God in the flesh as he so Jesus responds in verse 34 and when Jesus saw that he answered wisely he said to him 
you're not far from the kingdom of God. And after that, no one dared to ask him any more questions. So there's a lot of debate sometimes about what these words mean, heart, soul, mind, and strength. But let me put it to you very simply without making it simplistic. Love Jesus with all that you are. The deepest part of your being, that's what he is commanding us to do here. So let's recap so far what we have. We know him through Christ. We know him by his word. And so here's the question at this point in time. Are you pursuing knowing him, his word, are you pursuing him for what he can do for you? Knowing God and knowing about God, just a reminder today, are, are two different things. There are a lot of prescriptions, of prescribing about what to do in this text that we see today. But this is what I want us, one thing that I want us to grasp as we read this. This is not, as I prayed earlier, this is not pull up yourself by your own bootstraps. This is not the end of the year sermon where you're reflecting on where you came up short this year and you're looking forward to next year and you need to turn over some new leaves and you need to try harder. This is giving yourself to God so that he can work through your life with all of your being. And so what does this look like in our homes? Parents and leaders and anyone who, who is discipling children or has an influence on them, I want you to see this. Um, kids can sniff out religiosity from a mile away. They can see where you are doing religious things because it looks right to everyone else. They can sniff that out. Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23. This is a great text that, that is a, um, a guidance for our homes. The fruit of the Spirit is love and joy, peace and patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, Against such things, there is no law. What I would ask you today, moms, dads, leaders, is are your children, are those that you have influence over, are they seeing those things in your life and in your home? Uh, and I, I put in your notes here uh, a way that we can, can kind of judge how to flesh these things out because we hear words like love and we hear words like devoted. Well, what does it mean? What do some of these things mean? Fernando says this. Here, here are some things that, that we can do to be devoted in our lives. We can take, care, take careful note of what makes us disobey. And what leads to disobedience, we can plan how we will avoid those steps. We find ways to do some of the hard things of life of, of obedience that obedience includes. We constantly pray for strength to obey, especially mentioning our vulnerable, vulnerable areas. I love just a few moments, even our corporate worship while ago, I, I love the fact that, that every week we have a time of confession. And I love the, the, how today there was a pretty long pause in that time of confession. And we need that when we come together as the body of Christ. And I want to tell you, we need that every day in our lives we need to get alone and get quiet with God 
and, and not only make supplication to him, but allow his spirit to convict us of the areas that we're vulnerable and to spend time praying and repenting and being quick to ask for forgiveness, being quick to receive forgiveness. Next, we remain accountable to fellow Christians who can, we can trust and share about our behavior in our weak areas. I don't know if you do this or how you do this, but I can tell you, you need to do this in your life. One of the most uh, life-changing things that I've had in my life, and this probably happened two decades ago, was, was that I was put together with a small group of guys who were imperfect, who were growing in the Lord, who had a mutual desire to grow in the Lord and grow together. And so we met and we still talk on a very regular basis because I don't live in the city where they do now, but we're still able to communicate. And part of that regular communication is what are you struggling with? What are, you struggling, what are the sin struggles in your life? And listen to me, we are able to we know each other well enough that we know the vulnerability areas in each other's lives and we can point those out and so when something's coming up in somebody else's life they're taking a long trip uh, you heard Pastor Landon talk about how he gets phone calls from Eric uh, I get those phone calls too uh, we're able to to walk through those things and, and be vulnerable with one another and to, to have iron sharpened areas uh, iron sharpened iron in our lives and then lastly the moment that we fall into sin we plead for forgiveness naming the sin and asking God God's strength not to fall again so we don't cover up sin we shed light on it because we're trusting the power of Christ who's overcome sin to forgive it remember Genesis chapter 3 <laughs> Adam and Eve in the garden and they sin. What's the first thing they do when they realize they've disobeyed God? They go and cover themselves and they go and hide. And God comes walking through the garden. And what does God say? Adam, where are you? Now that had to be a terrifying moment. But this is what we need to realize today. And what we need to remind ourselves of. God did not ask Adam... Where are you? Because he couldn't find him, because he couldn't see him. God asked Adam, where are you? So that Adam would say to himself, where am I? I'm in sin. And I may be pretending to cover it up, just like Achan covered up his sin in his tent, but God sees it all. And he sees all the sin in your life. And so if we are going to disciple our children... We can't play games with that. Our children have to see us confessing our sin before God. So that's how we devotedly love God and we passionately pursue Him and His forgiveness and the power of grace to work in our lives. And we let our children see that. And so these commandments that we're teaching Him to follow Christ, all of that is part of that. This secondly, we diligently teach our children's commands and our legacy will be people who know God. I want to read this for you, just verses 7 through 9, and I want to see you to see how they're connected to verses 20 through 25 again. 
You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. And you shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontless between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. And I want you to skip down to verse 20. When your son asks you in time to come, I want to point something out there. There's not an if, there's a when. When we're obeying God's commands, then there's going to be when moments. So when the son asks, what is the meaning of the testimonies and the statutes and the rules that the Lord our God has commanded you? Do you notice that you there? So this tells you that this son or this child uh, says, he's commanded you. What is this about? This child sees something. He sees faith, but he hasn't received faith yet. In verse 21, Then you shall say to your son, We were Pharaoh's slaves in Egypt, and the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand. And the Lord showed signs and wonders, great and grievous, against Egypt, against Pharaoh, and all his household before our eyes. And he brought us out from here, that he might bring us in, and give us the land that he swore to give to our fathers. And the Lord commanded us to do all these statutes, to fear the Lord our God for our good ways, that he might preserve us alive as we are this day. And it will be righteousness for us if we are careful to do this commandment for the Lord our God. See, he's commanded us. So I want you to, to see a couple of things here. It, it, he's talking about many different ways and formats where we're teaching our children. We do that uh, in a formal way here in many, in many ways. We, we have uh, TC kids. We have equipping classes. We have teachings when we gather together. All of those things are designed to teach God's word, right, faithfully, and to point to what God has done. And we have a because of faith. We, we don't have an in order, of, in order to faith. We're not trying to reach up to God. We're praising him and living for him because of what he has done for us. And that's what we're pouring into our children. And that's important. But I want to tell you, this is what's really important in your life. Moms, dads, in your home, as you're traveling about, early in the day, late at night, in your neighborhood, in your neighborhood, do your children, let me just ask you, do your children know that you love your neighbors? Do, you, do your children know that you love uh, the neighbors who are most unlike you? Do they know this? Because that's what uh, Moses is saying. That's the word that God has given to give his people here. And he, he, he's telling them to tell your children, to proclaim to them in all of these areas of life, the statutes, but the, the statutes are based on who God is and what he has done. This is who God is. And so we have opportunities, multiple, uh, innumerable opportunities every day to point out to our children, to our families, who God is and why we're doing what we're doing. Let me give you an example. And, and this is a two-edged sword example. Uh, Christmas time is a wonderful time. It's a time where you can say Merry Christmas and lots of times there's a reason to bring about the meaning of Christmas, what Christ is, in those conversations. We talked about that a lot. 
I have a neighbor who is um, who who has a lifestyle that's, that's quite different from ours. I, they're not believers, okay? And so we made some some treats for some of our neighbors. Sorry, we didn't bring any, but uh, you've been gone too much. <laughs> so uh, we we made our neighbors some treats, and, and so I carried this next door neighbor some treats and. Uh, couple of things I'm really having trouble getting over with this neighbor. One is she's an LSU fan, okay? That's a struggle. Pray for me. Secondly, when I carried these, these, these treats over the other day, she came out and uh, she had a, a New Orleans Saints shirt on, okay? And I said, well, I can get past that. And I said, oh, you're a Saints fan too. I didn't know this. And uh, she said, yeah. And I said, well, here's some cookies. We made these for you. And she said, thank you. And uh, I said, well, I'm rooting for you saints until you play the Cowboys. You know, tried to be as graceful as I could there. And uh, she said, you're a pastor, right? And I said, yeah. And she said, well, I'd like to talk to you about something sometimes. And I'm like, I got time. Let's talk. And she said, no, I'm cleaning house. I can't. But I want to I have a conversation. I have no idea what this person wants to talk about. None whatsoever. I'm looking forward to that conversation. So that's a win, right? Can I give you full confession today? That neighbor's lived beside me for a year. We moved into the house, and it's taken me a year to get to that point. And so, so I confess to you, it's good intentions are not uh, Christian living. And so we have to be intentional about taking steps of faith for the cause of Christ, for, for building relationships through hospitality and seeing, letting our children see us do that, knowing, letting our children know that the intent is because we have this, this gospel that lives within us, that gives us hope, we want to share that hope with those around us. And inviting them to church, that's a, that's a wonderful thing to do. But let me tell you, building relationships that's what we need to be about for the cause of Christ. And so I think Moses is pointing to that, and the reason I think he's pointing to that is because, you know, the Pharisees took this very literally. You see Pharisees walking around with, with something on their head that had all of the commands of God because they were, they were right there, a very literal command. But, but, but what Moses is saying is telling the story of what God has done and what he's told us to do to do should be in the fabric of our life. And so I have to ask myself today, and I ask you, is it in the fabric of your life? And so the result of that, moving down to verses 20 through 25, the result of that is going to be questions. It's going to be questions. Um, and he, again, he says, when? When your children ask you questions. When your son asks you to come, what is the meaning of the testimonies and statutes and the rules that the Lord your God has commanded you? Now, here's not the, here is not the answer that we see in the text. Go ask your mama. Okay? That's not there. Here's not the answer in the text. Go ask the preacher. He says, Mama, Daddy, you tell them what I've done. You tell them what I've commanded. Um, 
And lots of times these questions are going to be, uh, they, they end up leading into why conversations. Why this and why that. I want to tell you this, as someone who's worked with youth for quite a while, here's the way this usually comes, often comes about in the way of youth. Why do we do this and they do that? Uh, why do uh, these people believe this and why do we believe that? Uh, and lots of times, I want to talk about those on two different levels. First of all, they're talking about denominational levels. They're talking about why did the so-and-sos do this and why did the so-and-sos do that? First of all, let me remind you, denominations are, are man-made entities, right? It doesn't mean they're evil. I'm thankful for the Southern Baptist Convention. I don't agree with all the decisions that are made sometimes, but I'm very thankful for them, and I, and I really line up with them. But sometimes you, you get this, well, we believe this, and, we, and they believe that, and we, we need to recognize that we live in a world that loves to get in camps, whether the political camps or your football team camps or denominational camps. And if we're not careful... We can make that more important than what God says because when that question is asked, your, your child sees baptism taking place in another way than what we do here, which we believe is biblical. When they say, why? Why, why does this happen? We can be careful to say, well, we believe this and they believe that. And we miss the boat when we do that because it's the perfect opportunity to say, let's see what God says. Let's go to scripture. Here's what God has said and here's what God has done. It also gives us opportunity to have further conversation and further question about what is foundational to faith and what is, the fa what is uh, important but not foundational. For example, baptism. Modes of baptism. Why do some people do this and some people do that? Now, salvation can come into play there because... Uh, the Bible is clear, we're saved by grace through faith alone. And if, if a person, if, if your young person says, why do they believe you have to be baptized to be saved? It's the perfect opportunity to say you're adding to the grace of God when you do that. And so, so what I'm trying to say is the questions are going to come and we need to follow up on those questions by pointing people to the word of God. Another why question would be this, and, and this, this is uh, especially today is important. Uh, why do we have to go to church every Sunday? Well, son, daughter, it's not why do we have to. L let me tell you what God has done for us. Let me tell you what we're doing. We're celebrating today what God has done. We go to church because we have the unique opportunity of gathering together as those who are in his kingdom to praise the risen Savior. That is why. And so what happens is you move this from a discussion about why we're trying to meet a requirement to why we're using this opportunity through what we do to praise God. So diligently teach your children God's commands and your legacy will be people who know God. And then lastly, discern your present world through the lens of God's word and faithfully live out his commands. We see this in verses 10 through 19. Um, 
So we haven't been brought out of the land of Egypt into the land that that God swore to our fathers, but we have been brought out of death into life, right? By God penetrating the hardness of our hearts. And so he, he reminds us that, that he is the one who is acting. The Lord brings you into the land with great and good cities that you did not build. And he's reminding over and over and over of all that God has given us and houses full of all good things that you did not fill and cisterns that you did not dig and vineyards and olive trees that you did not plant. And when you eat and are full, then take care lest you forget the Lord. Now, I don't know about you, but when I read that, I feel conviction. And here's why. When, when the blessings of God, when, when things seem to be going good in my life, I tend to forget where they're coming from. I tend to forget that, that God has given those, and that's why he says that. Lest you forget. Um, then take care lest you forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. It's the Lord your God. This repetition over and over that he is acting, he is providing, he is giving. He is giving and you shall fear him. Him you will serve. By his name you shall swear. You shall not go after other gods. So he's pointing out to them that, that we're not in, an earth, in a heavenly kingdom. We're in an earthly kingdom, just like they are. And there will be other gods. The gods, like I mentioned a while ago when I talked about the class reunion, the gods of the peoples who are around you. The Lord your God is in your midst is a jealous God. Lest the anger of the Lord be kindled against you, and he destroy you from off the face of the earth. You shall not put the Lord to the test as you did at Massa, don't test God. So here's how we live in discerning lives. We realize that we are stewards. We are stewards. He uses the word possess here a lot. So we think possess, we think ownership. My name is on the deed, it's mine. What God is reminding his people of and what we need to remind ourselves of is Everything that he has given us, we're, we're stewards. Uh, our elders have prayed numerous times that because of this, this tangible resource that we have been granted recently, that we would be a good steward of it, to use it for the proclamation and for the going forth of the gospel. But what about your own life? Do you remind yourself often, do you take care lest you forget that God has provided you? with all that you are. And that could be the tangible resource. It could be the home where you live. It could be um, the, uh, the, the transportation that you have. It could be all of those types of things. But could, it could also be the, the spiritual resources that you have. You're stewards of those. Don't forget. Don't forget that God has given those to you. Which leads to the next point. Know your nature to forget God's goodness. Um, the physical and the spiritual, we, we are very prone to pride. We're prone to pride. We're prone to pride about the things that we've accumulated in life, and we're also prone to spiritual pride. And 
I don't think we can remind ourselves enough to take care lest we forget to know that God has provided all of this. And then he says to, tells us to live in the reality that it is God who drives out our enemies. The enemies that go before us, uh, chiefly sin, chiefly death. Uh, we confess sin. We don't overcome sin in our own strength. We don't overcome death in our, our own strength. Live in the reality that it is God who drives out your enemies. And so I want to read one more verse, and I want us to consider this as we conclude our time today. Proverbs chapter 22, verse 6. Uh, this is a verse that's well known. And I really want us to think about this in our closing moments today, exactly what it means and what it might not mean. Proverbs 22, 6. Um, Train up a child in the way he should go, even when he is old. He will not depart from it. So do you believe that? What is this? This is a Proverbs. It's, it's a principle. It's not an absolute promise, uh, but it's a principle. It's a principle for God growing his kingdom and he promises us that he will be faithful in growing his kingdom um, so here's the thing years ago there was a, a government study done uh, and I saw the figure of what it cost and I, I think I intentionally forgot what it cost because we know our government wastes a tremendous amount of money but th this was the whole purpose of the study to uh, discover the probabilities of how people die, right? And so what percentage of people, what's the probability that any given person in America will die from a snake bite in 2019? What's the probability that any given person in America will die from uh, an airplane crash or from lightning striking them or from heart disease or all of these? So it put all kinds of probability on those things. And here was the, the conclusion of the, at the end of the study, it literally said this. It is our firm conclusion that 100% of all people will die. Okay, right. That was what the study said. So what does that tell us? It tells us that, that we have a beginning point, we have an ending point. And those that we are discipling, those that we are parenting, those that we are raising up, they have a beginning point and they have an ending point. And their spiritual life depends on whether they put their faith in Christ or not. But the whole point of this is that we should be building a legacy that builds God's kingdom because our hope is not going to be in what our child achieves in this world or what our grandchild achieves in this world. Jesus himself said in himself, what does it gain a man if he gains the whole world but loses his own soul? So what do you want your children's, your grandchildren's legacy to be? What do you want it to be? So as you think about just responding to this text today, The first question I would have for you today is, is, is not do you know about God, but is it do, do you know God? And I want to remind you today 
If the answer to that is, no, I know a little bit about the Bible, but I don't know God, the answer is not, well, you need to turn over a new leaf. You need to be a better person. The answer is none of that. You need to, do, you need to start coming to church. You need to do more religious things. It's none of that. The answer is to turn, to turn from your sin and your hope in yourself and turn to Christ. He's your only hope. It's why he came. It's why he came as one of us. It's why he died. That's why he conquered death. It's why he conquered sin. He lived a sinless life. And we're, we're so tempted to want to cover up our sin. I, I told you that story from Genesis chapter 3, but I, I want to read one more passage from you. You can flip back to Deuteronomy chapter 1 if you're there. Um, the people have come to the promised land in Deuteronomy chapter 1. Mo Moses is recounting this to them. And he's telling them about what has happened. That, that they came to the promised land and out of fear, out of fear of their circumstances, they refused to go in. They refused to obey God. They re yet 26 says, yet you would not go up, but rebelled against the command of the Lord your God. And you murmured in your tents, and said, because the Lord hated us, he has brought us out of the land of Egypt to give us into the hand of the Amorites to destroy us. Let me tell you today, if you're miserable today, it's not because God hates you. It's because God loves you. And he's brought you to a point where you can see that your only hope is in Christ. But I really want us to look at the last part of... Um, that verse, because God's judgment for that is that none of the people who, would, who doubted him, who, had faith, who refused to have faith in him, none of the people who did that, his judgment was that they would not enter the promised land. And so they all died out. But before that, they realized what they had done wrong. I want you to look in verse 41. Then you answer me. We have sinned against the Lord. We ourselves will go up and fight. Just as the Lord your God commanded us. And every one of you fastened on his weapons of war and thought it easy to go up into the hill country. And the Lord said to me, Say to them, Do not go up or fight, for I am not in your midst, lest you be defeated before your enemies. So I spoke to you, and you would not listen, but you rebelled against the command of the Lord and presumptuously went up into the hill country. Then the Amorites who lived in the hill country came out against you and chased you as bees do and beat you down in Sierra as far as Horma. And you returned and wept before the Lord, but the Lord did not listen to your voice or give ear to you. So you remained in Kadesh many days, the days that you remained there. So here's the point of this text. You can muster up all the I feel bad and I'm going to do something for God that you want to. But it's not going to save you. Your only hope is to cry out to God for mercy and to turn to him in faith and repent. And so what I ask you today, have you done that? Have you put your faith in Christ? Because he is the way. Do you know God? And then secondly today is, is, is our part of response. If, if you're a parent today, in Christ, who, who's realizing your shortcomings? Who's realizing as you, lead this as you read this text, well, wait a minute, 
it's not so much in the fabric of my life. There are areas of my life that, that, that I'm not sure my children would say, oh, this, this, my parent is living out the fruit of the Spirit in their life. Be reconciled to God by repentance and, and not by, I'm going to try harder to be a good parent. Turn from your sin. Turn from whatever it is that, that's keeping you from saying to your children, to those under your influence, to, to your household, do you see what God is doing here? Let's see how God is working in this area of our life. Whether it be your child's schoolmates or their ball team or, or whatever it is, make God and his plan the fabric of your life. When I was growing up, I want to just really drive this point home. When I was growing up, uh, my dad was not in Christ. He is now, thankfully. But he, he was a great provider. He provided great opportunities for us, but he didn't know the Lord. And uh, sometimes he would, uh, in moments especially of my shortcomings, which sometimes were quite often, he would respond or react in anger. And he would overreact. And he would speak to me uh, in ways he probably shouldn't have spoken to me. It, it, the anger took control of him. And then, as I look back on it, this is what I realized. As I look back on it, what would happen was, and you've probably seen the same dynamic in your family, uh, for the next couple of days, he might do something extra nice for me. He might, you know, buy me a treat or something like that. Or, or, or you could just feel a softness. Well, what was that all about? It was about trying to make up for what he had done. Now, I, I appreciate that, but that's not the biblical way of doing things. The biblical way of doing things is to say, I was wrong, and I'm sorry. Please forgive me. Do your children know that? Do they see that in your home? Do they see God's commandments working themselves out that way? And, and practically, I, I want you to think about uh, if, if you're a married parent, I want you to do this with your spouse, how you're going to disciple your children in 2019. How are they going to know your walk with Christ? Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 through 4 says, excuse me, Hebrews chapter 2. Therefore, we must pay closer attention to what we've heard lest we drift away. For since the message declared by angels provided to be reliable and every transgression or disobedience received just retribution. Did you catch that? Since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution. What the writer of Hebrews is saying is that every sin was paid for on the cross if we know this, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? Declared first by the Lord, attested to by those who heard, while God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles. So are you neglecting such a great salvation in your own life? Are you neglecting it in your home? And I don't want to make you feel bad about that. I want us to, to, 
to uncover that kind of sinfulness and shortcomings in our life. And I want us to think about going forward, especially in our families. As I prayed earlier, we are a family here at Trace who are made up of families. And we have a mandate to disciple them. So how will you do that? Let's pray. Father, it's, it's so amazing to me how you can take, your word is so powerful, you can take uh, a word that was written in such a far away time-wise and geographic-wise and all other ways, far away culture, and it is so very relevant to where we are. Your truths are timeless. The context changes. The battles that we fight in this world can be quite different than what we see in the Hebrew people. But your truth never changes. And as you were working out your wonderful plan of salvation, of glorifying yourself through Christ, in these moments of deliverance, you're doing the same among your people today, among those who are in Christ. May we take to heart today, lest we forget, Lord. May we think about our propensity to forget what you've done. And when we have conversations with our children, God, help us. Help us not to rush through those. What could be more important than pointing our children to Christ, pointing our neighbors to Christ through how we do family? Lord, I'm just feeling myself the, the burden of discipleship. And so I pray today that that would not be just something that I think about or something that my emotions are stirred about but that I would reflect deeply that we would all reflect deeply on what you've done and it would affect how we do life going forward Lord help us to respond to your word today honestly help us to confess sin to repent Sin toward you. Sin toward family members. Sin toward others, Lord. When we fail to heed these commands, to love you with all of our heart and soul and mind and strength. So I pray today, I thank you that not only did you send your son, you sent the Spirit, and our lives are empowered by the Spirit. And so I pray that pray that we would live faithfully these commands by the power of the Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Church, let's stand in response.